Y'all, I'm super glad y'all are here. Uh, this is awesome. I get the privilege of getting to speak to you guys again. Um, so I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm glad y'all are here. And y'all, I know you're not supposed to say like the weather thing. That's always kind of cliche, but y'all, it's fall. It's, it's finally, well, kind of fall. Like it's kind of cold. Tomorrow's high is like 54. It's going to be cool. It's cloudy. It's going to be really depressing for the next three months, right? Like, um, the leaves are changing colors. Every girl on Instagram has her coffee, like, you know, like taking her picture like that. Um, <laughs> you guys know what else fall means? No, though I do that often on the stairs. Uh, I just, sorry, Glenna's laughing because she also falls down the stairs. <laughs> we have a group text called Stairs Are Hard. Um, just letting you in on my life. No, fall also means it's holiday season. Charles kind of alluded to it, right? Who loves the holiday seasons? Yes, we got like, y'all, we got like three months straight of Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. If you consider New Year's a holiday, I don't know how you, I mean, I guess it kind of is, but it's like three months, right? Um, so who, like raise your hand if you like love holidays. Okay, you guys love them. I'm about to make you really mad. Um, I don't like holidays that much. Uh, thank you, booze. The booze can come this time. Um, now, look, okay, I, I don't like them, but it's mostly like the, the popular aspect. So uh, taking Halloween, for example. Who loves Halloween? Who loves spooky season? Okay, you guys. Um, I don't really care for, like, scary movies. I think candy corn is absolutely disgusting. Um, thank you. It's like wax. Uh, I don't really like dressing up. I'll do it, but I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so growing up, I was, I was that kid growing up that did like the absolute bare minimum when it came to a costume. And I like, I pissed people off because like, they would spend hours making their costume, and then I would take 45 seconds to put mine on. Uh, do you guys know what I was for, Chris, or for Halloween? No, not Charlie Brown. I was a skater. I literally just put on rollerblades, and then I went out. And I did it year after year after year. It was in completely unoriginal, completely uninspired. I made people mad. They were like, that's the stupidest costume in the world. But hey, I got more candy than them. And I did it twice as fast because I was on rollerblades. So <laughs> I don't like Halloween, but I knew how to exploit getting candy, right? Um, don't get me started on Thanksgiving. I am in Charles's camp. I hate Thanksgiving. I think it's stupid. I'm sorry. I will say my reason for not liking it is because I'm a picky eater. Um, and like 75% of the stuff on the table is just like yucky. Uh, <laughs> green bean casserole, ugh, like, <laughs> I know, <laughs> uh, sweet potato casserole, <laughs> like, <laughs> stuffing, ugh, stuffing is gross, I know, y'all, it's bad, uh, turkey does taste like paper, unless you deep fry it, but that's super unhealthy, and you inject it with, like, Cajun butter, that's the only way it tastes good, um, also, look, you might love Thanksgiving, but you have to agree with me on this. Who, who, who is crazy enough to think that Thanksgiving dinner should start at 3? Like, that's so stupid. 
No, it's so dumb. Just eat a normal dinner time or eat lunch. Anyways, I hate Thanksgiving. I love deep fried turkey, but I don't really like Thanksgiving. I do like being with my friends, though. And then Christmas. Um, Christmas, everyone loves Christmas, right? I'm going to break some of y'all's hearts. Charles is going to get mad. Heather's going to get mad. Everyone's going to get mad. I, I despise popular Christmas music. Rudolph, Santa's coming to town. Like, I hate, there's like the same 50 songs that they play on repeat, and it drives me up the wall. Like, everyone wants to listen. I hate it. Uh, I don't, I, I'm kind of like one of those people that, Kind of a Scrooge, yes, a little bit. I'm also like, let's go back to like making Christmas like about Jesus, and then people are like, oh, Mr. Holy Pants, and I'm like, well, it is about him. Like, it's not about Santa. Um, speaking of Santa, how old were you guys when you found out that Santa wasn't real? What? <laughs> I know. I really hope I didn't ruin it for someone. Um, I think I was in like fourth grade. So it's kind of old. I know. Um, I was I was gullible, uh, but I found out because I got a bow and arrow and like a target box and the target box still had a sticker from the store and I said, dad, why has it got a Bass Pro Shop sticker? And he was like, uh, we had to help Santa this year. And I was like, Santa's not real, right? And they're like, yeah, he's not real. And so <laughs> that's how I found out Santa wasn't real. So I know, I've made some enemies, I apologize, I, I've stepped on things that you guys love. Um, so, I'm not just going after these things because, you know, I'm a Scrooge, though I might be. Sorry, Brooklyn. Um, I do have one thing, though, and so in spite of whether you disagree with me or not, there is one thing I genuinely don't like about at least popular Christmas, okay? Popular American Christmas. Um, and it's it's the fact that Actually, I don't, maybe you don't realize this, but popular Christmas has actually changed and morphed our view of God. All right? That sounds kind of crazy, but hear, hear me out. Believe it or not, I believe that Santa Claus, big jolly red guy, has actually become what many of us think God is like. Many of us think God is like Santa Claus, right? It's this, if I do good things... God will bless me. He'll give me all sorts of nice things, right? He'll give me presents. He's going to give me health, good grades, a nice hot spouse. I'm going to get to go to heaven. I, if I just am nice, if I just am right nice and I do good things, but if I'm naughty, if I do bad things, more bad things than good things, right, then all I'm going to get is a big lump of coal, and then I'm going to spend eternity burning next to that lump of coal, right? Like... <laughs> That's what a lot of us think God is like, right? It's this idea of if I do good things, God will bless me. But if I'm bad, he's going to hurt me. That's what a lot of us think God is like. That's the Santa Claus God, right? And, and I know there is a reality of like, okay, like we do want to obey God. We do want to love God. We don't want to do things. But what I want to submit to you is if this God, this if I'm good, I'll bless you. If, if I'm bad, you'll hurt me. If that's the God we hold to for, for that reason alone, then we don't actually know the real God. For all the family fun, warm feelings that we get around Christmas, right, there are some things that we realize have shaped how we, especially here in America, view God. He's this, he's this jolly giant who just gives you gifts if you're good, but 
He's got a list. He's watching you, right? God is different than that. So I'm going to stop hating on your holidays. I'm going to stop. I also want you to know if you love Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas, enjoy them, please. I'm not saying that you should hate them like me. Don't be a grump like me. I'm just, a, I'm just an old man at heart. I feel like my place would be like sitting on a rocking chair just grumbling at people. So just imagine me as that. Um, so why am I bringing this up, though? Right, like, why, why does it seem like I've got a vendetta against Santa? I don't, but it's this one very important question. I think it's one of the most important questions any of us could ask ourselves, and it's this. Why do I love God? Why do I love God? That's what we're talking about. Why do you love God? Do you love God? Because he's like Santa Claus, right? Because if you're just good enough, he's going to give you good things. Do you love God because you want to go to heaven and you want to see your grandpa and you don't want to go to that nasty old hell? Do you love God because you want people to think you're good and holy and some saint? Or do you love God because he's holy? Do you love God because he is most qualified to rule your life? Do you love God simply for who he is and not for anything he could give you? Why do you love God? If you're in this room right now, it shows me that at the very bare minimum, you at least are interested in the idea of God. But I'd venture to say most of you would probably, if asked, say, oh yeah, I love God, right? Why? Why do you love God? I think um, Evan and Lindsay, you guys did an incredible job. Y'all kind of like referenced this idea of realizing that what you had wasn't a relationship with God. It was something, right? And a lot of us, I think, would maybe call that religion, right? It was this, we had this religion, but not this relationship. And so that's kind of what we're talking about tonight is, is do you have religion or do you have a relationship? And so hear me rightly, when I say religion, religion is not a bad word, right? Like Christianity, just like Islam, just like uh, Hinduism, all of these, they're, they're religions, they're world faiths, right? So when I'm talking about relationship over religion, what I'm talking about is a religious heart, right? A heart that's like, that, that pursues that Santa Claus God. I only want to be good because I want to get something, right? Not, I want to love God because he's just worth loving. And so our friend Winky Prattney, um, he's got a very funny name. He's a very funny guy. Um, but he, he's incredibly wise. And he gives us this, this incredible list of what a religious heart looks like. Okay? And so every time I look at it, I get convicted. Uh, I'm just going to put it before you, and we're going to let the Lord sift through our heart. And so this is what the religious heart looks like. It'll be up on the screen. And so the person who has a religious heart compares themselves to people around them and never Jesus, right? What do they think? What are they doing? The person with a religious heart never measures themselves against the Bible, but always against others. They don't care what God's Word has to say about how they should live. They never ask what Jesus would do, but always ask what the crowd would do. If society says something is bad, then, oh man, that's, that's bad, but if Society says it's good, then they say it's good. Never what God says. A change in the crowd means a change in their own character. 
Someone with a religious heart indulges in secret sin, meaning that they are, they are living in such a way where it doesn't look like they're doing anything, but man, when they're alone, the things that are going on in their heart and that they're doing are sin. They hate being considered fanatical. This is like the, oh, you're like one of those people that stands on the corner. No, 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 no. I'm not like that. Like, no, I'm, no, no, I'm never like those guys. Like, I, I, I love you, but I'm not, no. That is what a religious heart looks like. They hate being considered fanatical. They want to be friends with people on both sides and not in a way where they want to love them to Jesus. This is the person who on Saturday night is getting blackout, like drunk with one group and then Sunday morning with a totally different group and neither group knows that they're friends with the other, right? These totally different. They want to be friends with both sides. They're most interested in what men think than what God thinks. And they aim to keep up a religious front so that people will think they're holy. The religious heart, at its core, is more concerned about self than about God. What can I get? What do I look like? How do people think about me? Not what does God think. And one of the greatest deceptions about a religious heart is that we actually often have a desire for something good. But, a desire for something like heaven or being holy or, or wanting to live up to God's standards, but for the wrong, selfish reason, not for God's sake, is still wrong. Do we, do any of us, do you have a religious heart? Or do you have a real, vibrant, living relationship with God? Do you love God for who he is? Right? Instead of a religious heart, do you have a Christian heart, a sincere heart, a heart that is in relationship with Jesus? This is what the Christian heart looks like. They only care to please Jesus and never man. They measure their life based on God's word. What does God say? And, and I want to live that way. They go against what society says, and they always go in the direction of Jesus. If Jesus says that this is wrong, then I'm going to trust him over what everyone else thinks. I think he is worth following, right? They stand strong in their character in spite of what's going on around them. They confess their sins. Do you confess your sins to your brothers and sisters? It, they're okay being ridiculed or made fun of for Jesus' sake. Yeah, I am fanatical. I do love Jesus, and I will tell you how much I love him. They're more interested in what God thinks than what man thinks, and they're humble in their walk with God before others, and they never flaunt and never say, oh, look at how holy I am. Look at you little sinner, right? They're never like that. They're humble. The Christian heart at its core is only concerned with loving Jesus for who he is and out of that, living how he wants us to live. It's a relationship, not a set of rules. It's being friends with the living, breathing God, not a 10-step plan to get to heaven. It's an abundant life, not a stale book trying to scare you out of hell. It's relationship with God. Do we have a heart like that, a heart in relationship with God? Now, I'm praying at this point, like, it's my hope that, that you guys are, like, really kind of, like, looking at these two lists. This is myself included, right? And we're asking, like, why do I love God? Really, why do I love God? Maybe you looked at this list, you already know the answer, you're like, oh, I don't like that first list. Like, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of that. Or maybe you're like, you know what, like, 
I see aspects here, but I also see like some sincere aspects in my life. And like, you're just trying to kind of figure out like, Lord, why do I love you? Right? Asking him, why do I love you? Um, and so I've learned as I've walked with God, as I've read the Bible, um, that oftentimes you can kind of figure out, you can root out whether you have a religious heart or um, a, a you know, heart and relationship with God based on how you respond when you screw up, right? When you sin, when you mess up, how do you respond? And so there are two men in the Bible um, that I want to talk about. They both royally screwed up, okay? These guys, like, really, really messed up their lives. Um, but I want to see how they responded, right? And, and, and you'll see that one of them totally had a heart that was concerned about himself, and the other was totally concerned about the things of God. And so we're going to look at Saul and David. Um, so if you don't know who they are, Saul and David were the first two kings of Israel. All right, so Israel, God's chosen people, and, and they want a king, and so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. So Saul, the first king of Israel, right, um, he's chosen by God, all right, and, and he's this big man, he's, he's handsome, he's like the ideal-looking king. Like, think of the coolest-looking king, that's what he looked like, all right? And so it's near the, like, the end of his reign as king, and he gi he's given this command by the prophet Samuel. And this command says, hey, you're going to go, and there's this group called the Amalekites, and they are just absolutely wicked. They're, they're evil, they're doing these terrible things, and God says they need to be removed. All right, and your job is to kill everyone. And not just the people, you're killing the animals, everything, okay? The sheep, the goats, like everything from this country is going to be gone. And so Saul's like, all right, I got it. And he goes, and he starts to, to follow out God's commands and then he gets to a point where he gets this idea in his head. He says, you know what? Let's keep the king alive, all right, so he can know, like, how bad he is. And also, like, guys, y'all can keep some of the animals. Like, you don't have to kill them all. Keep the best ones. We'll, we'll sacrifice them to God, right? And so he gets this kind of grand idea of we're going to give the best of what we captured to God. And so Samuel comes, and he says, Saul, why were you disobedient? And Saul's like, I, I wasn't. I, I did what God said. And he's like, I can literally hear the, like, sheep and the, the, the cows mooing, like, you didn't obey. He's like, no, I did. And it's like, no, you didn't. Like, he's, he's deluded. He's like, well, we kept them to sacrifice them to God. And Saul, Samuel says to Saul, because you have been disobedient to God, God is rejecting you as king. You have not obeyed what God commanded, and you will no longer be king. I'm going to give your throne to someone else. Saul, like, screwed up here, and it doesn't really make sense to us because we're not kings, and we've never had to go and, like, wipe out another people group, right? But Saul really messed up. And then we look at David's sin. So a lot of y'all probably know this story. David was the second king of Israel, and it says um, in 2 Samuel 12, that, or at 11, that at the time when kings would go off to war, David stayed at home. So all his commanders, all his best friends, all his army, they're out fighting, and David stays at home. And it says that one day he's, at, he's up on his roof, and he's just kind of looking around, and he sees this woman named Bathsheba, and she's taking a bath. I never actually realized that. Her name is, anyways, um, that's very bizarre. Well, anyways, she's taking a bath, and he sees her, and he's like, he's got eyes for her, and so he says, hey, servant, go get her. 
And so the servant brings her, and David sleeps with her. And then she sends back a message and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Well, turns out Bathsheba is married to a man named Uriah, and you see in the Bible that Uriah was actually one of David's closest friends. So he steals the wife of his best friend who's out at war, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. So then he calls Uriah from the battlefield, and he tries to get Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife so that he'll think that he got her pregnant. Well, Uriah is an honorable man, and he says, I cannot go home and lay with my wife while my brothers are out at war. So he sleeps in front of the, like at the guard station. And for two nights, David tries, and he can't get him. So David writes a letter to Joab, the commander, that says, put Uriah in the fiercest part of the battle, and then have everyone back away and let him die. And he doesn't tell Uriah, he says, Uriah, don't open this letter, but bring it to your commander. And so Uriah is carrying his death sentence as he trusts his friend and his king. And he goes and he gets killed. And then it says that God was displeased with David for the sin he committed. Saul screws up. David screws up. I'm sure one of these is like resonates a little bit more. We're like, whoa, like David's sin is way worse. And I think that's just because most of us relate with that one a bit more. But Saul's sin was great. It was, it was a great, great sin. And so Again, though, what is important is not the gravity of their sin, but how they responded. And so it's going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read a little bit as well. And this is Saul's response. Oops, not 1 Kings, 1 Samuel. Also, shout out to my boy Hunter. We've been reading the Bible together, and I would not have even thought about this story if we had. We've just been reading 1 Samuel, and it was incredible. And we were amped. Like, it's all about fighting and People going nuts, and so it's, it's really cool. So that's just a side note. First uh, Samuel 15, verse 24 to 30. So this is how Saul responds. It says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me so that I might worship the Lord. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, he's, he's going to get right with God. Samuel says to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And so you see Samuel starts to leave. Saul grabs his coat and tears it, and he says, just like this torn, your, your kingdom has been torn away from you. And then verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned. And you're like, okay, he's getting it. And then he says, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I might worship the Lord, your God. Saul says, I have sinned, but please honor me before who? The elders of the people and the people of Israel. Yes, Saul did feel bad for his sin. It's clear that he felt bad for his sin, but it's also clear that he did not feel bad for his sin because he had hurt the heart of God. He felt bad for his sin because it was going to make him look bad in front of other important people. Saul was revealed for what he truly was, a selfish, religious man that did not care about God, that did not care about justice, that did not care about holiness, but only cared about how people viewed him. His faith was about what he could get, not who he loved. I wonder, are any of us like Saul? Then we look at David, Right? David's sin, y'all, like, it's just every time I read that story, it's like chilling. Like, you're like, God, man, he, he killed his best friend. 
instead of just saying, hey, dude, I, like, I messed up. He killed his best friend, right? And his sin goes like a long way. You see, if you read the rest of the story, it is, Israel was never the same after that. And so you get David's response, though. And so it says in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sends a prophet named Nathan and says, Nathan said to David when he came to him, he tells him this story. He says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and he grew it with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cub, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him, a, a sheep, right, but like a daughter. Now a traveler came to the rich man, the one who has all these stuff, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler, who had come to him. Instead, he took that ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man. And he goes on and says, you had everything. You had king, you had wives, you had all these things. And I would have given you more. And you took from the man who had little. And he says, that he's, he threatens and he says that, that you're not going to have anything. Your kingdom will be stripped. And it says in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And there's a tiny little thing he just says I have sinned and you're kind of like okay but you see in Psalm 51 it's this beautiful beautiful chapter it's actually in the little heading it says this is the prayer that David prayed after he had sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and he says this in the first four verses have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away my iniquity cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. And then this is it. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. What does David say? Against you and you only, God, have I sinned. Now, it's obvious that David had sinned against some other people. Tell that to Uriah, tell that to Bathsheba, tell that to his army commanders, tell that to his children. Like, David, David hurt some people. But what we see in his confession is that David understood that before he had ever sinned against another person, he had hurt God. He understood that in every sin, no matter how big, no matter how small, that you hurt God's heart. And he knew this because David was actually friends with God. When you're friends with him, I'm, if I'm friends with Charles, I know when I've hurt him. And he knows when I, he's hurt me. Like, we, we love each other and we know each other. But there's some of you, I, I might say something. You might be mad at me right now. I don't know it because I don't know you. David knew God. He was friends with him and he knew what hurt God's heart. And it's so beautiful. The Bible actually says that, that God himself said of David, you are a man after my own heart. A cheating, lying, friend-murdering king is called a man after God's own heart, not because of what he did in his sin, but of how he responded after he sinned. 
David's faith wasn't just religion. It was not just a list of do's and don'ts. It was a vibrant, living relationship with a person who could be hurt but never deserved to be hurt. David's faith was relationship with the most holy, most good, most just, most innocent person in all of existence, and he strived to please God simply because God is worth pleasing. I wonder, is your heart like David's heart? Do you love God just because he's worth pleasing? What do you feel when you screw up? What do you feel when you sin? Are you concerned first about yourself? Oh, crap, I might not make it to heaven. Oh, my goodness, what are people going to think of me? Or is your first thought, man, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you and I love you. So as we begin to kind of like land this plane, I just want that, I mean, it's just that simple question. Why do I love God? I know it, it's very simple, but man, it's, it's profound. Why do you love God? Do you love him for what he can give you or simply for who he is? Do you love God for the things he can do for you, even good things like forgive your sins, let you be with him in heaven? Or do you love God because he's just that good? I think it would be easy to, to kind of, you know, just, I just want to say this. I think it would be easy to contrast like a religious heart and like a, a sincere heart and say like, oh, well, like, you know, the religious heart is all about rules, but like the sincere heart is all about just like grace and like I just love God, right? And it's this like, you know, I think sometimes we think like, oh, like the, the person who's in relationship with God just kind of like sits there with their hands crossed and like, I just love God. And, like, it's just great. And like you don't. I think we kind of just think people, like, don't do anything, right? And you're like, well, if it's really bad to, like, the do's and don'ts, that's, Sean says don't do that, then, like, I guess the opposite is just sit there and, like, bask in God, you know? And that's not what I'm saying. I think the greatest tragedy that people ha th have when they think that is that they think it just means we sit around. But there is a reality that loving God has real tangible outcomes, real tangible things that we're expected to do. Jesus himself said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, then I'll know you love me. It's not like a keep my commandments, then, then I'll know. No, he says, if you love me, then you're going to do the things that please my heart. And you're not going to do the things that break it because you care about me. Jesus loves us that way. Jesus loves you that way. He does not love you because of what he can get from you. In fact, there's not a single thing that you offer that Jesus doesn't already have in himself. You, you bring nothing to the table that Jesus doesn't already have. He loves you simply because you are pleasing to him. He loves you because you are his and he wants you for himself. He loves you because you are a delight to him. And if Jesus loves us that way, how could we not offer that same love back to him? Not a love born out of a religion or rules or what we can get from God, but a relationship born out of a genuine desire to enjoy God and be content to be his, regardless of what life throws at us, regardless of if it's good or bad. I am God's and he is mine. If tonight you are bound with a religious heart, you're just like, man, it is clear I, am, I have only ever followed God because I just want to go to heaven. Or I just, 
I just want, I just want people to think I'm so good, or whatever, then I'm praying that tonight you'd have a spirit of repentance. I'm praying that God would help you to repent and to confess and to turn from your religious heart and to humbly come to God and just say, God, I want you for who you are and nothing else. And if you're still kind of sifting through your heart, your motives, and you're not sure whether your heart, right, you're not really sure, like our heart is deceitful above all else. We can ask God and say, God, I think I loved you for the right reason, but would you show me? And so if you're kind of in that like gray area, you're not really sure, then um, there's one more question I want to ask, and we're gonna, it's going to be in our debrief time, our small group debrief here just in a couple minutes. Um, but I really want you, you know, if you don't get to it during that time, that's fine. But, man, I want you all to sit on this question. This question has changed my life, and it's just this. Why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Why do I do the things I do in my life, and who do I do them for? I mean, you could apply that to studying. You could apply that to your relationships with people. You could apply that to why you're here at college. Why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Let the Lord sift that through your heart. So we're going to just go ahead and break up into our small groups. Um, We're going to have our small group debrief time. There's three questions that are going to be up here Um, take a picture, or your small group leader might already have them. Um, But yeah, I just want us to like, yeah, if you weren't here with us last time, we're going to go ahead and go, you can meet in here, you can go out into the layer proper, um, and we're just going to, as a small group, talk through these. And this is the last thing that we're doing, so there won't be any like worship again, there won't be, you know, like when you guys are done, you can go, you can stay, some of us are going to sheets afterwards, y'all can come, um, but we're going to start kind of tearing down in here around ten fifteen. so just want you guys to break up into your small groups, and yeah, like, let's go through these questions, um, and just, yeah, like, go deep with God together, so love you guys, and go ahead and break up with your small group.